Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Feeling a little better, Bruce. I'm still coughing, but I've set up the humidifier in my room finally when I sleep. Mm-hmm. Seems to be making a difference. When I get a cold, I get it for like 18 years. Uh-huh. <sighs> All right. Bruce, quite an exciting game tonight. The Oilers lost their fourth game in a row, but it was a very exciting game. They came back from a 2-0 deficit to tie, tie it up and, until they lost in the last minute. <clears throat> was it the last minute or the last? 17-27 uh, of the third was the winner, and then they spent the last two minutes frantically looking for the equalizer and not getting it. Oh, Hyman came so close, but he couldn't just bounced off his stick. Um, Bruce, <clears throat> the Oilers had 13 grade-A shots to seven for the Boston Bruins. So they were the better team <sighs> in flow of play in terms of creating grade-A shots, but that doesn't always win you the hockey game, and it didn't fight. So we'll do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. We'll do two bad things because it's an, a tough Oilers loss. Two bad things each. What's your first good thing? Well, my good thing is um, uh, some of the defensive plays made by the Oilers early in the third period, which unfortunately they couldn't match late in the third period, but when it was 2-1 Boston, and there was three times I was certain Boston was about to pot the 3-1 goal that surely would have put this away as good a defensive team as the Bruins are. And three times, uh, three different Oilers came up with a heroic play. Uh, One was uh, Connor McDavid lifting the stick of Jake DeBrus for what looked like an automatic tap-in from close range. And this was like very early in the third, maybe a minute in, but uh, uh, McDavid came all the way back, read the play, and timed the stick lift perfectly so that instead of the tap-in, the puck went skittering right on through and the chance went away. Uh, Second play, a few minutes after that, uh, was... uh, Marcus Niemelainen making a really good play to clear a rebound that had, looked like two Bruins were waiting to pop that one home. And Niemelainen had to do the full 180 to have, find the puck, stretch, and make an immediate hard clear because there were sticks going hard for that puck, and he had the hardest, heaviest stick of all and got that one out of danger. And again, it would have been a tap, and Skinner would have had no chance. And then the third one, when it was still 2-1 for Boston, and still early in the third, because Edmonton tied it uh, just before the midway point of the third, uh, this one goes to Stuart Skinner himself, and stopping a one-time blast off of the very dangerous stick of David Pasternak. And this, of course, is the only one that we count as a high-danger scoring chance for, uh, uh, for Boston. It's the one that Pasternak got on net because the other two plays didn't turn into chances because of the defensive plays. So uh, that, you know, that's, uh, I, I, I don't want to necessarily call it a weakness in our system, but it's something that we don't cover is, is strong defensive plays that prevent chances. We look at the ch- chances and, and what builds up to them. So sometimes <laughs> players that make strong defensive plays, um, you know, don't get fully recognize them but when they make mistakes they sure do by by our method which is one of the reasons why i like a a spectrum of statistics but also just simply the old eyeball test and this these three cases three different oilers came up huge 
in in critical moments that kept the team in the game and in fact did give them a chance to tie it and in theory gave them a chance to win it but uh, uh, so that was at least a sign of you know the team's you know paying attention to detail uh, in the defensive zone and uh, granted there was some chaos leading up to those particular details <laughs> being required but at least at least somebody around the net came up with the, the big play at the big moment. So I thought collectively those three plays to, to keep the game close were uh, a very good thing. The third one, especially a little chaos there, they didn't get out to the point. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was McLeod. Fogel was, McLeod was the, looking like he's going out there and then he didn't really go and then Fogel... It was just McLeod has got to get out there. If he's going to do it, do it. And then Nurse Nurse was just floating in the red light zone on that play. He had an otherwise pretty strong game, although he screened the goalie on the winning goal. But he was totally floating in the red, <coughs> red light zone, you know, not covering anyone and not covering off any passing lane. And boom, you know, Bouchard's caught down low there. We gave him we we gave him a major mistake. It was almost like. He was closest to the shot, but man, that was a tough play for him to make. But we really, it was, I think, mainly on Nurse, who just kind of had wandered out of position. And um, there you go. You get a five-alarm chance, which Stuart Skinner stopped. Sure did. Of course, failure to cover the point did come back to bite them in the ass late in the third period. And we'll get to that. And we will get to that. (laughs) My good thing was Leon Dreisaitl, who was just... Just played out of his mind this game. He was so good. He he kept a clean sheet on defense. Not one major mistake on a grade A shot against, which is something on his line, which got outshot out shot badly. I don't know if he did personally, but um, he was just so solid all aspects of the game. And then you know the Oilers come back, came back in the game their new fashioned way with Drysaddle lashing in two executioner shots on the power play. The second one being particularly spectacular because he was, he was about on the goal line again and McDavid fed it over. <coughs> Drysaddle is the only player, I think, in the NHL who can consistently make that shot. You know, normally you wouldn't say that's a grade A shot. And I think some of the shot metric systems, if they just go by shot location and distance, mm-hmm. wouldn't consistently credit Leon with grade A shots. And, we, you know, we might I might have been a little slow to come to that too, that that's a grade A shot. But when he's making... 30, 40% of those shots, turning them into goals. Those are grade A shots, I can assure you. And he uh, lashed in a couple of those. He he was 18 wins, 15 losses on the faceoff dot, which he was the only oiler to really <coughs> hold his own in that regard. Um, he almost set up Hyman. He did set up Hyman right at the end of the game for what could have easily been the game-tying goal, mm-hmm. um, but Hyman couldn't cash it in. Just a, just, I, I mean, I gave him an eight. I could have given him a nine, really. He was just, he was fantastic that game. Um, great game by Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah, he was, he was uh, very good on, on the uh, face-off dot. As you say, he was 18, 15, 55%, 33 face-offs he took in this game. That is a lot. And uh, in fact, that's uh, uh, just over half of the face-offs in the game that Leon was personally involved in. And the rest of the team, uh, in their uh, remaining 32 face-offs, they won 10 and lost 22 uh, against Boston. That's always been uh, an exceptionally good uh, face-off team. And just give me a sec. I thought I had the right game. Didn't. 
I just want to look at Leon in the head-to-head, uh, -head, but because uh, uh, on uh, Boston's side, the great Patrice Bergeron went 18 and 13 on oh, the yeah. face-off dot, and I know they went up against each other quite a lot, and I was interested just to see how that. Uh, yeah. Why don't we? I'll go to my. Sure. <laughs> I'll go to my first uh, bad thing, and Bruce, Bruce, it was the referees on Boston's second goal. Two, I, I think, atrocious calls um, led to Boston scoring. And <clears throat> refs will make mistakes, just like every other human being. So I want to start out by saying that. Yeah. It's a little frustrating, though, as a fan, because we've seen this last time they played Boston. Marshawn got two phantom calls. Against the orders, he dived and got penalties. This time, it's early in the second period, and he goes into the corner with Drysaddle. For the life of me, I don't know what Drysaddle did. I think Drysaddle did nothing. And Mar Marshawn, he works his way into your, he skates in front of you, works his way into your body, and falls down. And he got the refs to buy that. Very frustrating. The refs aren't onto this player at this point, and don't call him for what's it called? Um, Embellishment. Is that it? Yeah. There is a rule against I think it's a different word, but anyway. <coughs> Don't call him for that. He deserved it. Anyway, they get the power play. Smart gamesmanship, as they say, from Marchand. And then the owners win the puck behind the net. Kaler Yamamoto's about to clear it, and he gets tripped. Immediately afterwards, they, they take the puck off him, and they whip it into the into the slot, and they score. Like he, He's tripped right in front of the referee. He was looking right at it. And and he he zaps him in the feet away. Stick, takes his takes it takes him Stick. down. Just ridiculous, pathetic incompetence by the referee on that play. I mean, I can see getting fooled by Marchand. It evidently happens. Um, sometimes you're going to get fooled by KG players, but that was just right in front of the ref, and it had a disastrous consequence. Boston got up two nothing. That's a huge hole for any team to dig themselves out of. It. Credit to the orders that they almost did. But um. <clears throat> Yeah, I just think that just I was infuriated by that. Yeah, I, I was too. I mean, anytime a ref misses a call that causes a turnover and an immediate goal is going to enrage you, but it's going to doubly enrage you when they do so on a power play that never should have happened in the first place because of a completely phantom call. Same ref, number 14, Trevor Hansen, blew both calls and he was looking right at him, you know. Anyway, there was lots of other calls in this game. Edmonton got some calls, but those two right in a row essentially put a goal on the scoreboard for Boston, and they won by one goal. So those kind of calls make me bitter about the officiating, and they did tonight. I'll leave it me there. Too, me too. Mm -hmm. All right, what's your bad thing? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, my first bad thing has to be the first goal of the game uh, when Edmonton's vaunted power play that was uh, – at that point, one for their last 17, and they got a chance to uh, um, to uh, uh, put an imprint on the game. And, of course, the first goal of the game has been a huge uh, problem for Edmonton for a while now. Uh, 13 of the last 16 we're up to. And on this one, Leon Dreisaitl cleanly won the face-off back to the point. And Tyson Berry, I'm not quite sure what he was doing back there, but he tooled around on the point. And he wound up doing a spin around and he tried to make a soft backhand pass up the boards to Nugent Hopkins. Uh, one problem, well, two problems. Uh, one was he tried to do this against the great Patrice Bergeron, uh, one of the one of the uh, 
best thinkers, readers of the game going. And he read the play, uh, managed to get in there, get a stick in there before the puck ever reached the nuge, and then uh, make a nice pass into uh, open ice. And the other problem was that uh, his partner in crime, Brad Marchand, uh, was out there killing penalties with him, and that's been a devastating penalty-killing duo in this league for 10-plus years now. And uh, Marchand got the clear breakaway from center in, and you just knew he wasn't going to miss, and he sure didn't miss. Yes, uh, uh, he went. He went. Whatever you Whatever just did, you turned, did the turn the echo on. on. Oh, I just turned my mic back on. Okay. Is it still on now? I hope not. Oh, Is it? Just keep. Is it? Does it still? Sounds like it. Like it. Okay. Off and on here again. How about now? Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Marchand went in and he beat Stuart Skinner on the same move that we've seen beat Stuart Skinner on several breakaways this year, which is a deke to the. uh, the quick deke and the high shot. and that, I mean, that's going to work out for a goal oftentimes, but uh, uh, Skinner, um, uh, he's a little bit stationary in the net. I think I made this comment in a previous game and, and uh, uh, in Seattle last game. Uh, they scored the 3-2 goal on a breakaway where the guy basically went around him and roofed it. And there was also a game in Buffalo where he had uh, <coughs> two breakaways that were... Uh, wound up in goals. Anyway, that's I'm not going to necessarily blame Stuart Skinner. I just didn't think he had much of a chance against uh, Brad Marchand. And I was right. But uh, a very weak, soft play by Tyson Berry. And he, he knew he was in trouble, and he almost picked off the pass. And he, like, he guessed where the puck was going to go, and it just missed his stick. And sure enough, it goes right through to Marchand and in. But just, uh, just a, uh, a soft, kind of careless play with the, with the puck. And against players too good to be trying that stuff against, and they burned them, and they burned them third degree. Hockey happens fast out there, Bruce. It like, sure does. I yep. felt sorry for him, honestly. Like, <clears throat> if you've ever been a defenseman on the point, yep. trying to make plays, like, man. And Barry got two assists on uh, on power play goals later in the game. Like, he didn't stink the whole game, but he had a tough first period with three giveaways. Presumably that was one of them. I haven't looked at the play-by-play, but... Uh, had three giveaways and uh, and a crucial mistake. That's the first shorthanded goal the Oilers have given up all year, but boy, did it cost them. When that echo comes, Bruce, does it last or does it go away after a while? It went away again, so okay. I don't understand. Maybe if I have the, the cough button on too long, um, that's what causes it. So just have to have it on when I cough. Right, of course. And then uh, turn it off. Okay. Hopefully the cough will be gone soon. What's your second next, good thing, David? Next month or two. Second bad thing. Or bad thing, yes. You know, Bruce, Nuge has played well this year at mm-hmm. on the power play and at times at even strength. But he he has been – we've heard Dave Tippett kind of gross now and then about guys not giving the same effort as Zach Hyman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he has Ryden Nugent Hopkins in mind at even strength, but he sure could have this game. Mm-hmm. Ryden Nugent Hopkins – is a highly skilled player, fantastic player. He's got to dig in harder. He's got to, he's got to, he has got to get his nose over the puck. Tonight he was, I felt he was a real passenger at even strength. Really disappointed with his play. He's got to do better. 
And on the winning goal, he was one of the culprits on the sequence of pain. You know, came off the wall. Bouchard um, was a little soft coming off the wall. Mm-hmm. Nuge was not on it. And Zach Hyman came over <coughs> to kind of cover for Nuge in a way. And then he got he left his point right w- wide open. And Grilchik went in and scored, you know, with Nurse completely, Nurse and the Boston forward completely screening Edmonton goalie Stuart Skinner. So, um, yeah, you know, I when he was on the ice, I think I looked it up, They the Oilers had four shots, yep. and Boston had, I think, 15. 15. 15 to four. You know, it's not always your fault when you get, when you're, when you're out shot, Mm-hmm. But it was Nuge's fault tonight, and um, he he's he's got to do better, and the owners need him to do better. I don't know what his even strength scoring is this year, but it was abysmal last year. So, what have we got? An eight eight year contract here, Bruce? Crank it up, Nuge. Like you can do better than this. I'm not he saying has, the contract. he has eight eight points in 25 games at even strength. Yeah, uh, I'm not 13 saying. points. On the power play, too short-handed. Yeah, he's, he's been good on special teams, but yeah, they were they were outplayed. And when they did the switch up, of course, Nuge. When every time they move Drysaddle up, Nuge winds up moving from left wing to center. So it's a tall ass. They're asking him to play two positions in in the same game. But yeah, uh, his line after Drysaddle left his line and he moved into the center spot, his line didn't create a whole lot, and they were. Uh, uh, they were chasing the game a fair bit, and those shot totals uh, certainly uh, certainly support that. Uh, I'll pile on by singling out one play uh, in the final minute of play, which was not even strength. Well, technically, it's, I guess, six on six, but the Oilers had the goalie out, and they'd been putting all kinds of pressure on uh, Boston. Uh, Boston iced the puck. Edmonton called a timeout. There's like 45 seconds on the clock. Drysaddle wins the face-off. It goes, Newton Hopkins gets it in the corner. He's like on a really low angle. Uh, there's no Oilers right in front of the net. And for no apparent reason, he fires a shot from nowhere, misses the net, hits the corner boards, and goes all the way down the ice into Edmonton territory. There goes 15 of your 45 seconds with a play that it had no chance. Like, he could try that shot a thousand times. He's not going to beat an NHL goalie from there without a screen, a deflection, some kind of traffic in front. Like there was no reason to shoot the puck. And for a guy that's uh, uh, generally credited, uh, including by me, as a smart player, that was a dumb play. It just had there was no advantage to to doing that. The Oilers had full possession, and they wound up with the they wound they still had full possession after Barry won the race down to his own end and got hassled by Marchand, but by that time, 15 seconds has gone by and they're 200 feet away. So yeah. what was that about? Got to execute. The Oilers haven't scored a single goal with their goalie pulled this year. And, you know, they got to, <coughs> for all the great power play skill they got, they got to execute with the game on the line once in a while. It just hasn't been happening. And, you know, plays like that sure don't help. Um, is it time for your second bad thing? Yes, it is. And I'm going to uh, single out a guy who rarely gets identified as a bad thing, Zach Hyman, uh, who had a very tough night tonight. Uh, Officially, his box scars are no points, minus two, a penalty which put his team two men short, no shots on net. And uh, Hyman had critical plays at the end of the game. Um, 
which I'm just going to look at these two plays. One one was a, a poor coverage decision uh, combined with inability to execute the play when he left his point man to come across to try and help uh, on the strong side where the puck was. And the whole Oilers abandoned the weak side of the ice. Well, that's his job is to cover off on the other side. And when he came over to try and take out the passer and miss the pass, his man, Matt Grelchik, wound up with the puck on the stick and all day to, you know, wind up, pick his spot, let the screen develop. There was no pressure on Grelchik at all. And he was able to take a full slap shot because the guy that was supposed to be covering him was 30 feet away. And then a minute and a half later, a minute later, the Oilers have their goalie pulled, desperately <coughs> trying to get that late goal back. And Dreisaitl fires a hard pass right on Hyman's stick. And he just can't handle it. Like it's a tap in if he, you know, if he can control it at all. And instead, it kind of went cockeyed off his stick sideways across the crease, and it beat the or it hit the goalie who was badly beaten by the pass. Like it was, oh. you know. And that was that was the chance that they had to tie it. And again, they just couldn't execute at the critical moment. To even get one point in this game would have would have felt good, but to to come away with nothing. And unfortunately, the you know the guy I'm, I'm never going to criticize. Rarely he, he, he's he's going to have to do something way out of character before I criticize him for not working hard. And I'm not criticizing for that. I'm criticizing him for not executing and for uh, for a poor decision in a critical defensive situation. He was able to draw a penalty, surprisingly, after he got hooked twice for about 30 seconds each time. Oh, yeah. The ref finally held up his arm. Mm-hmm. Bruce, that wasn't even a grade A shot at the end from Hyman because it... It wasn't a it shot at all. It just he got bounced no shot right off the second. Yeah. He just wasn't ready. He wasn't set, and uh, that'll happen. I'm sure he's just killing himself right now over that. He just, he just must be so upset oh. over that play because <clears throat> he's a professional, and they're paid to score. Bruce, uh, numbers, my number is 10th. Did you, you do both of I did both mine. I went first. What did you okay. think? Attention. Uh, the refs and all uh, oh, right, Nugent, the refs. Yeah. My bad thing is number. The, the Oilers. My number. Excuse me. Now we're all confused. I, now I'm all confused. My bad. <clears throat> the Oilers were um, first in winning percentage. Just in recent memory, I just remember saying it a couple of weeks ago. And Bruce, they are now tenth in the NHL for winning percentage, six forty. 16 wins, nine losses below Colorado and just above Anaheim, below Calgary. So uh, they're sitting in the middle of a pumpkin right now, you know. Things have uh, fallen off the rails here. And that was a better game, though. That was a better effort. And we'll see if, you know, sometimes, you need, sometimes you know, no team is a powerhouse in the NHL. You know, an absolutely dominant team in the NHL, I don't believe. They're all going to go through rough patches. They're all going to have periods where they think they're better than they are and they start to cheat on defense and not work as hard and um, take teams lightly, more lightly than they should. And then they got to suffer and they got to have some misery and some losses to get the habits back. And the habits were coming back tonight. I think that they should be happy with that game in a lot of ways and um, just need a better result next time. What's your number? Well, you say a couple of weeks ago, it was one week ago, David, that the Oilers were 16 <laughs> and five, 
They lost on Friday, they lost on Sunday, they lost on Tuesday, they lost on Thursday, all in regulation, not a single point. Now they're 16-9. And so on the other hand, you know, Ken Holland, the, the the slow build, right? He got to 12th the first year, 11th last year, now we're up to 10th. You know, another, what is that, nine more years? Will we get challenging for the top? Come on, come on. <laughs> Gotta get my digs in when the numbers are on my side. Here's yeah. my here's my number, David. Uh, twenty three to twelve. Twenty three is the number of goals scored by Leon Drysaddle so far this year. In uh, what was this game number twenty five? Twenty three goals. The twelve is the collective total number of goals scored by players uh, uh, that identify as bottom sixers on the Oilers. Uh, of that group, they're led by Zach Cassian and his four goals. One of which was scored when he was actually uh, playing higher up the lineup. Uh, Ryan McLeod has three. Warren Fogle has two, including none in that's close to 20 games now since he scored, despite his best efforts tonight. He was excellent in this game, but no finish. Kyle Turris, Devin Shore, Derek Ryan, each tied with one. Colton Sevier, Tyler Benson, Brandon Perlini, each tied with zero. That's one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine guys that have been playing, you know, generally six of them playing in any given game. And they've got 12 goals as a group in 25 games. <laughs> this is the bottom six that uh, uh, was a high priority for Ken Holland this summer, and uh, among other things, uh, uh, was a factor in the big trade of Ethan Bear for uh, uh, Warren Fogle that supposedly was going to fix the third line. Well, it ain't fixed. And it ain't it's, fixed. I'm getting tired of talking and writing about it because. Oilers' bottom six production has been a problem every single year but one in all the years I've been blogging about this team since 2008. Yeah, I wrote about the Belanger Triangle. You did. I was Last. a good post. You were <laughs> right on the nail. And it's become more than just one player, Eric Belanger, and um, offensive play going to die there. It's become like a, a this just huge suck where every third line or fourth line center that the Oilers bring in seems to fall into. And it's just been an endless run of guys who have come, who have come in. And, and it's usually because they're too old, right? They, they've lost a step. And we, we heart, we, they, the Oilers sign them when they're a bit too old. And, you know, Boyd Garden and, and now Derek Ryan and and um, the famous, infamous Jared Smithson. There's just been an endless run of them. Yeah, it's not just every every bottom six center. It's basically almost every bottom sixer. What whatever yeah. history they have elsewhere of scoring goals, it just evaporates when they get to Edmonton. Remember Toby Reader came yeah. here with with oh. four double digit goal seasons, and he couldn't score once in the entire season. I mean, I don't know what it is. It must be something in the water, David. I just bring us in a Matt Hendricks. Although Colton Sevier's kind of trending in the Matt Hendricks kind of. I'm really liking Colton Sevier. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's playing well. So there's one guy, and Fogel's Fogel's been up and down. I, I think he'll get it together, but <coughs> they're they're waiting on Dylan Holloway here, Bruce. To um... zero goals, one assist, minus five though for Colton Sevier. I mean, yeah, there's things to like about his play, and I, I I'm rooting for the guy. But man, he's got hands of stone. It seems like he's he's got well, he's had no finish at all with zero goals in 16 games. So. Manos de Pedros, is that what is that what they were called? Uh-huh. Oh, Duran. <laughs> Sorry. Hands of stone. Yeah, I'm sorry for uh, Roberto Duran. Hands of yes. stone. 
I'm well, sure. I used to tell Louis DeBrus that mano a mano does not mean man to man. It means hand to hand. He says it every game, and every time I just shake my head because he said it as if it meant man to man. Mano. Sorry. <laughs> if, if, let me see. Manos de piedra. Yes. Manos de piedra, hands of stone. Hmm. I guess if you're using them to punch people, they're good things to have. If you want to use them to put hockey pucks into nets, uh, you'd rather have hands of, well, at least meat. <laughs> you want to have, what are they uh, called? Pink, so, panth pink panther hands, you know, the uh, jewelry thief hands. Yeah, the All right, Bruce, uh, let's leave it there. And Carolina next, David. Carolina. Should be an easy one. Yeah, indeed. Thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between time, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>